If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Matthew. We're going to jump right in. There is so much for us to look through and talk through today. And, uh, and we're just going to kind of dive in. We, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about Christmas through life point. And we've been looking at how uh, God sovereignly ordained through the lineage that we find in Matthew chapter 1. He himself uh, took all of the different people, all their different stories, all the diverse background. He took all of those, and in his sovereign will, he brought forth Jesus. And through each person, their tragic, in many instances, a very tragic life, in many instances, great, great failures, uh, he took all of those to work out his sovereign plan, his plan of salvation for you and me, how Christmas came through them, Jesus is born, and now through Jesus Christ, we now get to experience Christmas. Christmas means Christ worship, the worship of Christ. And so now we're able to truly worship Christ uh, through what we read in Matthew 1. And we've, we've been seeing how um, really what this is all about now is us now turning and taking Christmas to our one, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to to those maybe even in our own home who do not know Christ. And so with that, I'm going to start reading in Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to read the entire lineage today. We're going to read, I'm going to start at verse 5, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6. And then if, you, if you're a good flipper, all right, I want you to have your Bibles ready. I want you to have a pen and paper because there's a lot of passages I want us to read today. So let's, let's start reading here in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 5. It says this, uh, Matthew writes, and he says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah was Bathsheba. Listen, there are so many stories right here in these two verses that we could camp out on. And what I want to ask you to do is this week, I want you to go back and I want you to do some reading in those of these. Go back and read the book of Ruth so that you can see uh, who Boaz and who uh, Jesse and Ruth uh, uh, are so that you can have a greater appreciation. What you do know, though, is that David, King David, is a high point. Some of you may know I, I had the opportunity to go to Brussels uh, back in 2010, my family, and we were kind of the first fruit of the, of the Brussels church that is there. And so people, when they find out that my family had an opportunity to live in, in Europe for a period of time, when they start to go on a trip, many times they'll come and ask, let's take Paris, for instance. You ever been to Paris? Well, yeah, I've been to Paris. Well, what should I see? You know, we're wanting to see things. I don't want to do just all the normal things. I want to see some of the things that no one else sees. I always tell people, you have to see, though, the top two or three things. You got to see the Eiffel Tower. You need to go see Notre Dame. You, you need to see those things because you don't want to come home and then all of a sudden you're like, somebody asked you, did you see the Eiffel Tower? Uh, no. I mean, there are some pinnacle things you want to see. Well, King David is like that. He is a pinnacle point in the lineage. Through Abraham, God made a covenant, a covenant that he said he was going to keep, that he was going to bless Abraham, and through Abraham, the rest of the world would be blessed. That through him, he, Abraham, I'm blessing you 
so that the rest of the world might be blessed. Well, through King David, he made another covenant. And he said, David, through your line, there'll always be a king on the throne. Uh, Now, what we know as we continue to read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but specifically, that wasn't always a, what didn't always mean a physical king, that when there was no more physical king descendant of David on a throne, there was Jesus, who is the eternal, everlasting king that came through the line of David. And so um, Acts chapter 13, turn over to Acts 13. Paul, the apostle Paul, was going into the city of Antioch. And as he went into the city of Antioch, Antioch of Pisidian, I believe it is, as he was going in there, his custom was that on the Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue and wherever he'd go, he'd, that'd be one of his first stops. He'd go in, he'd hear the law read. Well, when, they came, when he came in, they asked after that, would you, Paul, like to speak? Well, Paul begins to talk about a piece of this story. And he begins to talk about how David, through David, the line was going to lead to the Messiah. And here's just a piece of what he said in Acts 13, beginning in verse 21. He says this, then they asked those being around or uh, the the Israelites, then they asked for a king. The Jews asked for a king. They got into the promised land. They started looking around. Hey, all the other peoples have kings. We don't have a king. We want a king, God. God said, I'm your only king. No, we want a physical representation. We want a king. So then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, the man of the tribe, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. So Saul reigned for 40 years as king. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, God removed Saul because he disobeyed what God said. Uh, He began to uh, do things opposite of what God commanded, and God removed him after 40 years. He raised up David to be their king, whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. What was it that God said about David? He's a man after my own heart. God said David was a man after his own heart. Look at verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. So what you end up seeing here is that Saul or Paul, when he was teaching, in in the synagogue, he said, listen, David, our King David, it was through his line that God brought a savior, the Messiah, the King. His name is Jesus. He promised to do that long ago. Uh, Further illustrating what it is that is in Matthew in that genealogy that through the line of David, there would come this Messiah named, named Jesus. Now we could spend, we could spend several hours here. We're not going to, Uh, But we could talk about David for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I will be honest with you, as a teacher, this is difficult for me because there's so much that I want to share. So that's why I'm saying, have a pen. I need you to go back and I need you this week to look so that you can fully begin to understand who it is that God chose to bring Christmas to us through. So very important. There was a point when when, uh, it, it came time for David to be anointed as the king. Saul was not off, Saul the king was not off the premises yet. Usually you did not anoint a new king until the old king had passed away. Saul had not passed away yet, but because he had disobeyed, God told Samuel, the one, the prophet, the priest, 
the high priest of the, uh, of the land of that day, he said, Samuel's the one that anointed Saul. He said, listen, Samuel, my hand has been removed from Saul. He's not gone yet, but my hand's removed from him. It's time for you to go and anoint a new king. I want you to go, and I want you to go to Bethlehem. There's a man there named Jesse. He has some sons, and I'm going to point to the son that I want you to anoint to be the next king. Uh, even as the man of God, he was a little concerned about that because I'm going to go into this town, and people are going to know this is a unique time, and I'm going to anoint the next king. Uh, the, it was always the prophet, the priest, the high priest who would do that. This is going to stand out. God said, I want you to take a bull, take a cow. I want you to go to that city. I want you to go to Jesse and you're gonna have a sacrifice. Samuel does just what God commanded him to do. He went there. He called together Jesse and his sons. He said, we're going to have a sacrifice. And he, Jesse brought all his sons up or brought all of his sons but one. And Saul, or Samuel begins to look, and he sees these sons, and he sees the first son, and he says, this looks like the one. He looks like a king. Uh, this, I think he's the one. And God said, no, he's not the one. He went to the next one, same thing. To the next one, same thing. To the next one, same thing. Finally, Samuel says, Jesse, are all of your sons here? And Jesse says, no, there's one that's left. He's out in the field. He's, he's a shepherd boy. He's tending the sheep. He's not here. Let's read what happens then. 1 Samuel 16. Go to the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 16. If you're not certain where it is, look at the table of contents. Don't be ashamed of that. You go there, find it, and I want you to be able to look at it. If not, it's on the screen. 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes. We won't sit down till he gets here. He says, verse 12, and he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy, his skin. He, has, he was, uh, uh, had, a, had a, a beautiful skin tone. He was ruddy, it says, uh, and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, from the day he was anointed, from that day on, the Spirit of God was on him, the Scripture says. And Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. David in this point, I, I think you could safely say, was kind of an unexpected chosen king. Uh, I think this probably caught David uh, very off guard. David's a shepherd boy. He's out tending sheep. He gets called to come in, and then all of a sudden, here's this young boy. We don't know exactly how old he is, but he was, he was probably a teenager, somewhere in that age. And he is anointed, uh, a horn of oil, a bag of oil poured over him, and a blessing given to him. And even he knew this is a big deal. Can you imagine Jesse? How unexpected that would have been for Jesse. Jesse didn't realize what was going on at this point until it began to happen. Can you imagine Jesse thinking, my youngest? What? I mean, the inheritance and the line goes through the oldest. Why did we, over, we overstep this one? Can you imagine the oldest son, how unexpected that was for him? Sitting there going, 
hey, what about me? Why not me? Can you, I mean, can, can you imagine that? Can you also imagine, though, for just a moment, the unexpected, like, maybe even, like, humbleness of David went, why me? Have you ever been in a situation like this before? I, I don't mean, like, being anointed with oil for kingdom or anything like that. I mean, like, where something unexpected happened to someone that you looked at and thought, why them? Why, why not me? Why, why, why not me? I mean, I've got this, and I mean, why, why, did, why not me? How about this? Have you ever been in a situation where something very unexpected happened to you or given to you an honor, and you sit back and you think, why, why me? How humbling that might be. Listen, I think this is what you begin to see here, and I want us to begin to catch here that through David, the salvation of Israel and the salvation of all who would bend their knee to Jesus Christ would come. And I want us to catch that there is nothing in us, there's nothing in David, there's nothing in David that would warrant that he would be the one other than the sovereign choice of God himself saying, he will be mine. And for us today in here to know that there is nothing that we bring to the table. Our family line doesn't bring us. Our, our performance doesn't bring us. Uh, there is nothing within us that says, God, you want me. No, in his sovereign choice, he chose us. He opened our eyes. He called us. And we respond to him in faith and say, I'm yours. Do with as you please. Do with me as you please. Wow. Several years later, let's fast forward this a little bit. I told you I have to kind of move through. We're going to look at several scenes here. But several years later, Saul is now off the premises. David, from this time, was called into Saul's service. So David goes and serves alongside Saul or serves for him, not alongside, goes and serves him under his kingdom. Uh, God removes Saul. He is killed in battle. He and his sons, they, they die. David is a great warrior for Saul. In fact, it, it burns Saul up that he's such a great warrior. There were songs written about David and his fighting. Saul has killed thousands. David, his ten thousands. Well, when Saul is off the, uh, has been removed, David then is anointed king. So David is this mighty warrior. He is winning battles. He is doing incredible things. I mean, stuff is going crazy. He's probably 20 years into his reign. Uh, his name is great. He's powerful. He's mighty. Uh, land and territory is being expanded. It is awesome. And then you get to 2 Samuel 11. Then you get to 2 Samuel 11, and I need you to be able to read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 today, tomorrow. But you get to 2 Samuel 11, and you, and, and you read a passage where, it, well, let's just read it. How about that? 2 Samuel 11, I'm going to read verse 1. Verse 1 says this, 2 Samuel, if you're not certain, 2 Samuel is after 1 Samuel, okay? So just turn a few pages, 2 Samuel 11, I'm going to read verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year... The time when the kings go out to battle. Why do you think the kings didn't go out to battle in the winter of the year? It's cold. It's rainy. 
They're sleeping in tents. I mean, there was a real practical piece to this. It was not the time to do that. So in the spring of the year, when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Joab was like his five-star general. He sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. But David remained at Jerusalem. Where was David when his army, the king, like the commander-in-chief, yes, I have generals. David had mighty men. The scripture talks about there were 30 mighty men who were in charge of more mighty men. But where was the commander-in-chief? He was not where he was supposed to be. David began to go, uh, listen, kingdoms expanded. Uh, I'm great. I'm mighty. I don't know if he was saying those exact things, but his conduct shows us. David was rejecting. He was passive. He rejected his responsibility. He was not leading courageously the people that God had called him to lead. And it says, he sent them on. I'm going to stay here. If you keep reading in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, what you see is, is it says this. It says that he got up one afternoon from his couch. Literally, he was laying on his couch he got up in the afternoon and he went up onto the roof of his house. In, in Jerusalem during this day, houses were flat roofed. It became an extra living space, a place where they could go. And in the city of David, the city of King David, where he lived, that city, and if you've never been to Jerusalem, if you've never been to Israel, I encourage you to go. February of next year, there's going to be another trip. We can get you info, but you, you go and you see in the city of David, it's a terraced land. And guess whose house was at the top? The king, the most valuable land. His land is up on, on, on top, his house. So he goes up in the afternoon and he is walking around. And as he's walking around, he can see Jerusalem, literally. I've been there. You can see all of Jerusalem. And he says, the scripture tells us in, in 11, that there was a woman named Bathsheba who was a beautiful woman. And he could see that she was bathing. She had come out to bathe, it says. She was after her ritual cleansing, for her ritual cleansing. She had come out to bathe. And now, listen, him seeing that she is bathing is not the sin. The sin is, is that he stopped and he, he didn't glance and walk away. I don't need to see that. He, he glared. He stayed. He kept himself in a place that he had no business being. He began to watch. And the scripture says that he began to ask his men, his, his servants, who is that? And they found out that uh, she was the daughter of Eliab. Eliab was one of his mighty men, his 30 mighty men. She's the daughter of Eliab, one of your servants. She is the wife of Uriah. Uriah was one of his mighty men. She is the granddaughter of uh, your counselor. I cannot pronounce his name. Atiel, I believe is how you say it. I apologize. But she is the granddaughter of of Atiel, your closest advisor. And he says, go get her. Listen, David was not where he was supposed to be. He had rejected his responsibility. He was lounging. He got up, goes out, looks around, not being where he was supposed to be, began to lust. Not only did he begin to lust, he acted on that. He committed adultery with her. Uh, no one will find out. She goes back. She sends word, I'm pregnant. What does David do then? David says, I, 
I've got to fix this. I've got to fix this. David said, okay, I need you to send a letter to, your, to uh, Joab, my commander. You remember the signet ring that we talked about last week? Stamped it. I need you to send uh, Uriah home. Uriah comes home. He looks at Uriah and he says this, Uriah, hey, how, do, how are things in the battle? How's Joab? That, uh, great. Hey, why don't you wash your feet? That means take a bath. Go home. Be with your wife. And Uriah is more committed to his king than David is to his king. Uriah says, far be it from me. There's no way I can do that. All of Israel is in the field. My commanders are there. My brothers, I'm staying right here. So he slept outside the doorway. The next morning, David sees he didn't go off. He didn't go home. David then says, okay, we're going to have a party. He throws a party. He gets Uriah drunk. He gets Uriah drunk. Uriah gets drunk, but he still does not go home. He lays at the, at, the door, at the doorpost. He lays there, does not go home because he can't. He's committed to his king. The next morning, David drafts a letter to be delivered back, we assume, by Uriah to his commander, Joab. Joab, I need you to place Uriah at the front lines. I want him on the front lines. I want him at the spot where there is going to be the most uh, fighting going on with the most valiant men of the other army. Put him there, and when the battle is engaged, I want the rest of your men to fall back so that Uriah dies. Joab, committed to his king, does exactly what happens. Word gets back that Uriah is dead. Scripture says that Bathsheba mourned, and when the time of mourning was up, David brings her to the house, to the castle, to the kingdom, and she becomes his wife. No one knows. No one knows. Except God. And I also want you to know who else knows. All of the servants who did his bidding. Can you imagine how word began to spread throughout the kingdom? Others knew. But we, uh, men, women, we deceive ourselves thinking no one will ever find out. But I want you to know, God does not allow that to happen. What we read as you keep going, and I believe it's in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, is that there is a prophet named Nathan that God sends to David. And Nathan comes and he tells David a story. Now, David received the counsel of Nathan, unlike receiving the counsel of the other people who came to him when they said, hey, do you know who this is? Do you know who this is? Go bring her. David received the counsel of, uh, of Nathan. Nathan tells him a story uh, about sheep, about a party, about murder, and David is livid. And all of a sudden, Nathan says, David, this is you. You have done this. And the scripture tells us that David is broken. David is broken. Where we didn't talk about this last week, I want to make sure that you hear this. This is why I want you to go back. Our sin always has consequences. We think that so often what we do only affects us, but we don't live in a vacuum. Did you realize that your sin affects everyone around you? And then it becomes like concentric circles after that. It just goes on. 
And there were consequences that, Na- that, that the prophet Nathan said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Part of it is the sword will never depart from your family. Eventually, David, the kingdom is going to be ripped from your line. It's going to be ripped. It will be taken away. But here's what I want you to catch, and I want you to find encouragement in this, is that that didn't catch God off guard. Because the covenant that God made with David, that there would always be someone on the throne, David didn't fully recognize. David didn't realize, I don't think, that there would be a Jesus, a Messiah that would come through his line. But you know what? The promise and the covenant is never dependent on us. It's always dependent on the one who gives the covenant. And today, I want you to hear, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter what you are facing, when you feel like, I can't be used, do you know what? Yes, Uh, I don't know, but he does. God knows. And he still called you. He still chose you. He still loves you. And he still has a plan, even in the midst of where you are today. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, the backstory is for his glory. And what we run from, God wants to use in the lives of others, not for us to bring glory, not to glory in the sin, but to say, God changed me. This is what happened. And how do we know that that happened? Turn over to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Go to the Psalms. Psalm chapter 51, probably one of the greatest Oh, it's a wonderful picture of repentance. If you're at Psalm 51, in your Bible, it probably has a, he- has, a, uh, has a little parenthetical, a little heading under where it says Psalm 51. And it says it's the Psalm of David, uh, a prayer of David after Bathsheba, his confession, okay? Now, these songs would have been sung. They were public songs that would have been sung, okay? So David Though he did not glory in his sin, he confessed and then wrote a song about it so that we could all sing so that you would know the faithfulness of God in repentance. Look at Psalm 51. Let's read. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Do you hear you hear him crying out for mercy, recognizing his sin. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse seven, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is the branch that uh, in Egypt where they took the, a hyssop branch, they dipped it in the blood of the lamb, put it across their, their lentil for Passover to signify that they've been covered by the blood. That's what David is saying. He cleansed me with the blood and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let's stop right there. David demonstrates a heart of repentance. Was there consequences for his sin? Yes, there were consequences for his sin. 
But he turned to God and said, God, I need you. I need you to change me. I know that you can wash me. I know I need you to remove me from the iniquity. It is ever before me. Would you blot it out by your blood? I want you to hear me today. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, your past sin, the sin that you have previously committed, the one you'll commit today, and your future sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. And he, he died for you and he saved you knowing that you were committing. This is what he committed here. This is what he's doing today. This is what he's going to do. But my blood is sufficient, not because of his performance, but because of Jesus. He's identified with Jesus and surrendered his life to him. And I want you to know, that's hope for you also. Today, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty. And if we yet surrender to him and submit our lives to him in faith, Jesus I give you all of my sin. Forgive me. Do you know what the scripture tells us? Is that he then gives us his righteousness. And we are cleansed. He removes us from our sin as far as the east is from the west, the scripture tells us. And I want you to know, none of this caught Jesus off guard. None of this caught God off guard. He knew all of this. He chose to use David. Did you, you know what he called him, right? He is a man after my own heart. Yet, David grievously sinned, committed adultery, had a man killed, but God said, he's a man after my own heart. Are there consequences? Yes, but I will remove the iniquity. That is, is grace. Folks, please hear this. I want you, if you're about to fall asleep, I need you to catch this. Okay? Grace is not a concept. Grace is a man named Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience real grace, it's only found in Jesus. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, what you've got is faux, fake grace. What you're trying to give is faux and fake grace. It's an imitation. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, those of us who have experienced the grace of God in our lives ought to be the people who are giving the most grace. Yet I must confess to you, there are times in my own life, probably not you, but in my own life, when I've seen someone who has fallen, someone who has maybe wronged me, wronged someone else, and I'll stand back and how dare them. Listen, those of us who have experienced grace should be the biggest grace peddlers and pushers and givers there are. Jesus loves us. He laid his life down. In this day and time, do you know how you knew that a king had conquered? He would come in and he would wipe out everyone. Do you know how our king conquered? He came in and laid his own life down. And then gave us life. 
if we would yet surrender and submit to him. That is unexpected. That is what it means to be chosen by God. That is what it means to have Christmas come through David, Christ worship, David, the one he said, this is going to be a covenant with you, David, and you're, listen, there's going to be a day when the king is coming from your life. Turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. This is a passage you guys know. I'm sure you've heard this before. If you haven't read this yet in your Advent study, you're going to. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. I'm going to read 6 and 7. Isaiah, after David, says this. He says, for, for to us, a child is born. I wish I could read it like uh, Linus did. <laughs> for unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government the government, the kingdom shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and how long? Forevermore, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know who the, Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is? Jesus Christ. He did that. Today, we still, the, the line of David continued on, and it was Jesus Christ. And today, do you know how we experienced Christmas? When we came to Christ, do you know how we experienced Christmas? Through Psalm 51, through repentance. God, forgive me. I need you. I need you to cleanse me from my sin. That's the bad news. I need you to cleanse me from my sin. I have faith, everything, but your son, Jesus. But today, I receive the good news of God, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, that Jesus, you died for me. I give you my sin, and I receive you, Jesus, and I submit my life to you. Some of you right now, when I said that right there, something in you went, whoa, that's what I need. And what I just prayed, I invite you to pray. I want you to you to know that Jesus wants to, the greatest gift you will ever receive this year can be very unexpected. You may be going, I didn't come here for this, but he meant for you to come here for this. And today, would you, God, I need you. Jesus, change me. Today in this room, there are some of you, uh, you feel unworthy. Yeah, welcome in. But I want you to know, he desires you, follower of Christ, to now turn and go to your one, to go to your family, to go to your neighbors, to go to your workplace, to your fourth, fifth, your second period class student, and to tell them about the good news of great joy that is for all people. For unto us has been born a Savior, 
and his name is Jesus Christ. You know, in this Matthew 1 passage that we've been looking at, there are all kinds of names. And you know what happens often? We look at those names, and we just kind of like, whoo. They just kind of fade, and they're crazy. You don't know, can't pronounce them. I don't know all their stories. And pretty soon, you're reading about Abraham and Tamar, and I can't pronounce these, and I'm going to go on. You just kind of skim it. A few months ago, I guess, we did this kind of same thing. We made some names on a board called our one. You remember doing that? And we, they're out there in the hallway, See, you may already have just kind of skimmed it. You just, you don't see it anymore. Some of you, maybe you've seen them, but you, there's so many names. I can't, it's just, I'm, you, you're trying to find the name you put on. You're trying to find that one. I want you to see a picture of one that has come up here. Can you see this? Some lady put my husband and his name can you read what's across? Yeah. Answered. Answered. Can you imagine how that woman feels right now at Christmas? She has just, she's got one of the greatest gifts she'll ever get. The greatest gift. You know, her husband, the gift that he has received. And so often right now, you may have put a name on that board and gone, I, I just don't know. We don't know. God does. He's called us to pray. He's called us to go. He's called us to believe in faith and cry out to him, God, would you save them? God, not just would you save them, God, would you use me? He's Listen, if he's laid them on your heart, do you know who he's, who he's laid on to go talk to them and share? You. He gave them to you. He's gave them to you. This week, do you know what our, th this, is, this is our call to action this week. I, I'm gonna challenge you to do something. I'm gonna call you to do something that for some of you are gonna be very uncomfortable with. I'm gonna ask you to literally go to your one. I'm gonna ask you to literally, maybe you go, I, man, I, I, I didn't have anybody that I put on the board. Right now, you know who that is. Maybe it's, I'm going to go to my street. I'm going to walk my street and just connect with someone on my street. There's a neighbor. You go, man, I've, I've, been a, I've just been a cruddy neighbor this year. Uh, let's see another picture. This, this is mine and my wife's attempt, feeble as it is, to go to our neighbors. It, it's a $1.99 box of Andy's candies. Aldi's. It's fine life cards out here at the Welcome Center. And a little Christmas card that just walk the street. Hey, Gwen. Merry Christmas. How you doing? Not been the best neighbor this year, but I'm going to be a better neighbor this year. I, are, you, are you good? I, we're right here. Robert. Davey. Heather. 
Will you go? Will you take Christmas to your one, to your neighbor, to your second period? He's called us to take Christmas. Not our gifts, but the gift of Jesus. Father, we love you. We thank you. We honor you. We magnify you. And Lord, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would do the work that you said you would do, that you, you would be the great comforter, and there are people in here who need comfort. You would be the great teacher. You are the teacher. Would you remind us of all that Jesus has said? God, I pray that today, in this very room, that you, Holy Spirit, you would point us to Jesus and our need of him. And I pray that you would save people today, God. I pray you'd give people courage in the midst of their fear of talking to someone else that they would come and share with me, with Kurt, with CJ, with someone. In the face of our fear as followers of Christ that we would step out in courage and go to those We would invite them to church, that we would invite them to Christmas Eve, that we would invite them into our home, that we would invite them to know about Jesus and that you then would do all the work. In fact, Jesus, I thank you that you have a finished work on the cross and that you said you'll build your church, that you would save people. You just ask us to open our mouth. Give us courage. We love you, we honor you, and it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things today. Amen.